You're listening to Driving Place-Based Innovation, a podcast series by Newcastle Gateshead Initiative produced in partnership with the Digital Tourism Think Tank. I'm Nicole, and I'll be your host for the series where we're going to be looking at how digital and technology innovation is driving transformation of Northeast England's visitor economy. Throughout the series, we'll be sitting down with organizations near and far Balancing a local perspective where we hope to shine a light on innovation in and around Newcastle with global perspectives, bringing together learnings from further afield. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be sure that you don't miss out on future episodes. For more information about the series or to get in touch, just head over to ngi.org.uk slash podcast, where you'll be able to find out more information and how to get involved. In episode eight of Driving Place-Based Innovation, we want to look at the success of the circular economy and how it plays a central role in helping us to achieve our net zero goals, reducing waste and realizing the opportunity of purpose-led business. First, we'll meet Hugh Stoliday, manager at Usburn Farm. He'll be telling us about how this charity remains true to its origins through everything they do, from supporting vulnerable adults to growing the food that is served in its cafe and its educational programs, where circularity is put to work. Although they've been tracking and reducing their carbon emissions for a number of years already, they recognize that establishing such bold ambitions sits at the very foundation of everything they do, building partnerships and collaborations, which involve everybody in the conversation around sustainability. In today's episode, we're keeping it focused on the Northeast, where we'll then head over to Troy Terrington, chef patron at Dobson and Parnell, a restaurant which pushes the boundaries of British and European cuisine on Newcastle's vibrant quayside. He'll be telling us more about how the restaurant changes its menu on a daily basis to provide ethically sourced, local, seasonal and fresh produce, and their preserving techniques, and how they put sustainability at the centre of everything they do as a restaurant. Our conversation explores some of the opportunities to incorporate more sustainable practices within the restaurant business and how attitudes toward food quality, sustainability and standards has evolved in an ever-competitive landscape. We'll look at some of the challenges involved in achieving a truly circular restaurant business, but also some of the steps that can be taken which often go back to older traditions and techniques, whilst exploring the role that people and training play in translating all of this into today's guest experience. So my name is Hugh Soliday. I'm the manager here at Usburn Farm. I've been involved with the farm for about three and a half years now. And Usburn Farm is a city farm, one of probably about 40 across the country. We have been in existence in various guises and iterations since about 1976. And we are a visitor attraction here in the center of the Usburn Valley, which, as you may know, is one of the sort of most interesting and innovative parts of the city. And as well as being a visitor attraction with cafe, retail, animals, public-facing events, one of the things that we do is provide opportunities for adults with additional needs across the whole range of farming activity. So working with the livestock, small animals, and horticulture, crafts, cookery, and we aim to improve the lives and the well-being of those people who come to the farm. 
every day. That's great. So would you say that this is really what sits at the heart of your core mission in the farm is to help benefit those in the community through the activities that you do? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's encapsulated very neatly in our mantra, which is that we are a place for growing plants, animals, but most of all people. And that kind of sums up the farm's mission in terms of being a fantastic resource in in the city area that provides a place for the community to visit that's free to enter and also distinctive opportunities for people who do have additional needs and we want to improve their well-being, their health and their lives through coming to the farm. Well, I certainly really like the term a place to grow. I think it's such a great way to consider the many different areas in which you are helping people and also produce to develop and to grow and and also the learning and interaction that comes around that. Now, in tourism, we talk a lot about sustainability and we talk a lot about how we can work towards a much more sustainable, lower impact tourism industry. And one of the parts of that is looking at how we can support supply chains to foster circularities so that we have much shorter production chains and that we're sourcing locally more and more. Tell us what that means to you and and what steps and progress that you've been able to achieve both within your activities, but also the partners that you work with. It's probably best summarized using a few examples. So for example, we have a cafe here at the farm, which is a partnership with another charity called Smile for Life, who support young people with additional needs. So their mission is to help young people gain skills, confidence, and opportunities by working in the cafe front of house with those people with additional needs very much visible and at the forefront of what goes on in the cafe. But of course, here at the farm, You know, we are a working farm. We produce fruit, veg, and the meat. And that produce goes up into our cafe to be used there. And also it goes to local restaurants, for example, the Cookhouse by the River Bruco, with who we have partnership and sponsorship arrangements. And that produce gets used pretty much on the doorstep. So in terms of food miles, we're talking, you know, less than one mile. And that's really important to us. But I suppose... Behind that sits the idea that it's really important that people understand where food comes from and the effort and the knowledge that's required to produce food. So when visitors come to the farm, they can see how we raise animals and how we grow fruit and veg. And they also have the opportunity to talk to our staff and volunteers. We have about 60 volunteers here down at the farm who come from across the local community, as well as skilled staff who understand the ins and outs of agriculture and food production. So it's really important, not only that we are able to demonstrate sustainability by using that produce in the immediate vicinity, but also with the education side, explaining and showing people how that production takes place. And that's one example. I think the second example is that, you know, obviously being a farm, we produce quite a lot of poo, uh, you know, from the animals and that goes into our muck bay and is then reused as compost and for growing our fruit and veg. So we try to keep everything there in-house. We're also part of a scheme called Plastic Free Ooseburn, which is run by Surfers Against Sewage. And that's a really interesting project that aims to eliminate single-use plastic across the whole Ooseburn Valley. And we're really keen to support that project as well. So, you know, obviously we there is some plastic use within the farming environment. So for example, we buy bags of feed and then we reuse the, the feed bags for containing compost. And we try to reuse everything because 
one of the things about being a charity that's free to enter resource is that, you know, funding is always tight and actually it's in our economic interests as well to be as sustainable as possible. I mean, it's really impressive to hear about those different initiatives. It, it really demonstrates, I think, that the, the values behind your work go far more than simply this sense of a place to grow, but also a place that can advocate change, a different way of doing things, that can embrace even some of the challenges that we face today and become a beacon for how maybe to address those and to sort of propagate that across the regions so that others and those in your overall supply chain and partners that you work with in the wider region can also collaborate with you on that process. So it's really exciting to hear that you've been able to set up these different programs. Now you're talking about, I guess, what is a, a kind of zero mile or maybe one mile uh, menu and, and offering, something that I think is really exciting. I know you also have a lot of success as a visitor attraction. So with more than 30,000 visitors annually, how do you balance that need to try to reduce the amount of produce you're sourcing from outside and keeping that within just a few mile radius? And then obviously meeting the needs of a large number of visitors, which I imagine can be quite difficult to cater for, sourcing only from local produce. How do you find that balance? Well, we've got to be realistic about how much produce we can actually produce on a very small location, a very small footprint of, you know, the farm buildings itself is less than half an acre. We have some fields surrounding us, which make up about probably just shy of five acres for the whole farm footprint. So we're quite a small resource, but I think it's, it's really important that we do what we can on a limited level. And obviously with 36,000 visitors, we can't cater for every single bit of produce that is consumed in the cafe, but, you know, we can work with local suppliers and we have good connections with other organizations in the region. So we can make sure that as much as possible, things are coming from a short distance, but also where our visitors come from. We know from doing annual visitor surveys that the majority of our visitors live within a five mile radius and they're not coming a huge distance here to visit the farm. I think one of the challenges is encouraging visitors to use different modes of transport to visit the farm and moving away from people driving into the city, driving into the valley. It's a challenge because, you know, there used to be a bus service that went directly through the Usburn. There isn't any more. The metro isn't particularly close to where the farm is. So it's not easy, but, you know, that's something we would like to, with partner organizations like the Usburn Trust and others and the city council, work to improve over the coming years. So it seems like this role that you can play is also one that is very important because you can take this real life context of, if you like, operating a business, operating a visitor attraction, not in a densely populated urban area where you have all the benefits of, of public transportation. And you can also advocate for a change in practice, whether that's how you produce and provide your menus and your offering, how you work with partners and source, but also how you encourage your visitors to take more sustainable actions always balanced with the reality that sometimes these actions are, are challenging and difficult. Another area that I know is very, very difficult to achieve, which is often very different to the dream that we hear about is zero waste. I know that there are a number of zero waste restaurants which have had to go to immense lengths to completely eliminate waste. I know that this is part of your ambition. So tell us a little bit about the challenges in the desire to achieve that and the reality to actually get 
to that complete zero waste goal that obviously most of us would love to do, but perhaps find challenges in achieving that? You know, there are lots and lots of challenges around zero waste. And, you know, many of those, I would say that particularly over the last couple of years, you know, the COVID pandemic actually moved things backwards in terms of achieving zero waste. You know, we went through this phase of having everything disposable, masks, COVID tests, hospitality businesses were using disposable plastics because they felt it was safer and everybody was outside where they can't use glass and all these challenges that we've had over the last couple of years. So I think there was a degree of challenge around that balance between zero waste and people expecting things to be single use and hygienic and all the rest of it. So I think there was a, a set of challenges around COVID. But there's other challenges as well. So for example, there's very strict rules about using, you know, for example, food waste, feeding that to animals. You think that would be a no brainer to take all the waste out of the cafe and feed it to the pigs. Well, unfortunately you can't do that because, and there's very strict rules about what you can feed livestock following the, the foot and mouth outbreak. Seems like distant history, but it was probably only what, 20, 20 odd years ago. I remember um, it well. So there's definitely challenges there. And I think it's, it's about incremental improvement. So if we're doing a big event, we've got the late shows coming up in a couple of weeks, we will use biodegradable cornstarch based plastic produce that will just biodegrade. We take in compost, food waste from local restaurants. They use our compost bins that we can then turn that into compost and reuse it in the farm. We try to, wherever possible, buy in as little as possible in terms of plastic or any other sort of disposable items that we, we might need to use. But I think zero waste is a goal, but it is a journey to get there and we're probably not there yet. Yeah. And I guess it's one of those things that is really key to be realistic about. And for many businesses and even individuals that want to transition towards something that is along the lines of zero waste and a very, very short supply chain, I think you always have to balance then the reality and the almost impossibility sometimes of making those steps. But I think what you've really shown is how in the case of what you're doing, you can also be a test bed. You can take those steps to change processes and you can demonstrate the benefits or indeed the difficulties in that process. And that can allow others to then follow your lead. So I guess you play a really key community role in that sense as well. Now, obviously, working through all of these challenges, whether it's circularity, whether it's zero waste, whether it's also trying to find a different model for a visitor economy, which is more inclusive and creates opportunity beyond the more traditional sense of creating a tourism attraction. This is always faced with a lot of barriers that we have to work together, uh, work collaboratively to overcome. Tell us a little bit about what some of the biggest challenges you faced overall and how you would define innovation in that process of looking at how to do things differently. That's a really interesting question. I think that, you know, Newcastle has, and I suppose Gateshead as well, have a very strong focus on developing the inclusive economy, something where there's opportunities for everybody. And I think that's exemplified in our placement program. So we really believe that learning disability or difficulty shouldn't be a barrier to jobs and opportunities. And for example, we've just completed our first apprenticeship with a young man who's got autism, who's just got a distinction in his customer service level two. He's been front and center of meeting and greeting visitors when they arrive, working in a retail operation. And so I think there's a really important point about that 
visibility of people with additional needs to see that they're actually integral to what we do here at the farm. And I think that's innovative. I think the community-led approach that we have, where we think about the needs and the, you know, and the wants of the local community in terms of not just, I suppose, visiting, but also living in the valley. So we have stewardship of quite a large area of green space here in the Hughesburn Valley, which we know is precious to people who visit and, and also live and work down here. Custodianship of that green space. We've worked in partnership with the Usburn Trust, who are another local organization who run the Victoria Tunnel Tours and have quite a broad remit in the Usburn Valley. And we got some funding from the local enterprise partnership to upgrade all our green spaces back in 2021. And we're now looking at quite a substantial tree and hedge planting program down here, which will not only sort of improve the quality of the land and the biodiversity here in, in our little patch of the Usburn, but it will also make the place nicer to visit, more pleasant, a more bird song, you know, just a, a part of a nice day out. And also working in partnership and collaboration with a number of organizations. So, for example, we run a lot of events with Seven Stories, the National Center for Children's Books, which is just around the corner from us here at the farm. So, for example, in the Easter holidays, they were doing a program about fairy tales. And we did with them three Billy Goats Gruff bringing some goats onto the bridges here in the Usburn. And it was a great opportunity for children to hear a fantastic story, but also bring it to life with some real life goats. So there's lots of little ways that we innovate. And I think it's all those little bits and pieces that we do, which bring together, a, I suppose, a, a program of innovation, which is on a small scale, but it is kind of meaningful, that work that we're doing. And we feel really proud of our place in the city as part of the tourist economy and one of the keystones of why people think that Newcastle and Gateshead is a great place to live, work and visit. Wow, excellent. And I think engagement with everybody in that process seems to be just one thing that really, really stands out there. And I guess engagement, education, learning through doing things together, learning through curiosity and discovery. This this all seems to sit really at the heart of your mission, which has allowed you to actually deliver really interesting activities across a really, really wide range of areas. So just reflecting on everything we've discussed today, it seems that actually sustainability is maybe a, a word we can use to overall define your mission. But I think this this is really touching at many, many different levels from the environmental to the societal uh, to the community aspect and actually bringing all of those elements together into one single package, if you like, is actually very powerful because through doing that, it seems that you have actually been very successful in enabling others to see how they can be part of creating a positive impact in whichever way that they are able to and they can do. So it's been really great discussing this with you, Hugh. Thank you very much for sharing the story of what you're doing. And people should definitely head over and check it out if they haven't been there. How would you advise people to plan their visits and to find out a bit more about Usborne Farm? Well, I think firstly, the Ooseburn is a great day out in Newcastle. You can visit the farm, you can visit Seven Stories, you can visit Northern Print, you can go walk along the quayside, go to the biscuit factory to see some art. There's so many great things to do in really a walkable local distance down here. And I think everybody who's involved in the, the Ooseburn, this little patch, is very proud of everything that there is to offer down here. 
we're open Tuesday to Sunday, 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. And every day in the school holidays. So please pop in and visit. We are completely free to enter. You don't need to book. You can just walk straight in. And the other thing to mention is that we are very keen on our social media down here at the farm. We've got some really interesting sort of little educational and entertaining video series running. For example, our gardener, Carl, is running at the moment, Carl's Haughty Hacks. So you can get some great information from him. Richie, our farmer, does videos. We've been recently doing lambing and he's got some great video content up on our social media. So give us a follow. We're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. We're all over the place. Now, let's head over to Troy Terrington at Dobson and Parnell on Newcastle's Quayside to hear more about what sustainability means in the restaurant business and how the UK's food sector has evolved in recent years. Hi, I'm Troy Terrington. I'm the chef patron of Dobson and Parnell on Newcastle's Quayside. We've been open since 2016, and I think when we first started out, we had a quite a clear idea of what we wanted to offer and the type of restaurant we wanted to be. And that was quite clear from like the design part down to the menus and the produce we, we were using. I think as we've had to evolve our offering and really try and adapt to the ever-changing climate of hospitality, not only in Newcastle, but also in the UK, I think more than ever, customers' expectations are higher than certainly when we first opened. And we've got to really push ourselves to maintain the same level and intensity that we that we started with. So that's quite tricky, but certainly something that we enjoy. And tell us a little bit about some of the expectations that you're seeing from customers or that you've observed over the years that you've been open. I guess it's been a very tricky period, both with the pandemic, which I imagine caused enormous disruption, but also with an increasing interest and concern for where food comes from, for the sustainability aspect, even thinking about the carbon impact of food, for example. And at the same time, I guess you also have to battle with increasing financial pressures, which mean that people's choices are perhaps narrowed or slightly more difficult to win over that customer and to keep that spend. So tell us a little bit about how all of these issues have come together in how you've adapted and shifted the business over the last few years. Yeah, sure. From the outset, we set our stall out to try and be as sustainable as possible. When I was the head chef at Blackfriars, we were part of an organization called the Sustainable Restaurant Association. And when we opened Dobson and Parnell, when Andy and I were talking about it, Andy being my business partner, it was one of the things that we were sort of quite conscious of was where our produce is coming from, how many sort of miles it's doing, uh, you know, are we using coffee beans that are sourced ethically and, you know, Rainforest Alliance and, you know, are we using recycled paper? Since we've been open, it's become more of the norm with restaurants is sort of really pushing the sustainable agenda. So I think trying to keep up with that and sort of reassure and reinforce those values is quite hard when everybody else is sort of doing it as well. You know, it doesn't make us special anymore. So we have to do 
other things to, to make us special. So we've recently invested in staff training and from a point of view from like the staff are just as important to our restaurant as where the food comes from. And that's part of, I feel being a, a sustainable restaurant is, you know, is, is that. It's really interesting to see how I think what, where you started and being very focused on sustainability and how you source your food being something that could be really considered as a, a pioneering and also competitive factor. And today it's actually represented widely across the UK restaurant sector. I guess it's a great thing yeah. for the industry. It means that the industry has really, really improved in terms of standards, in terms of ethics, in terms of thinking about all of this. But it's also interesting to think that actually just doing it or just committing to that is no longer enough to to be out in front and to lead the way alone in terms of being sustainable and therefore having a differentiator in, in a busy marketplace. How mm. how have you kind of reflected some of those ethics and some of those attitudes in, in the cuisine and in the offer that you have? I understand that your menus change daily to reflect the produce that you can source in, for example. Tell us a little bit about that and some of the thinking when it comes to circularity and, and how we can actually achieve that versus perhaps the reality. Sometimes I guess it's not always possible. The menus thing was basically so that we had the opportunity to use up as, as much as possible. And I guess that feeds into the, the circularity, you know, theory of using your wastage in other areas, pickling, brining and fermentation have always been something that we've done. But again, it's one of those things that it's so easy for restaurants to do it's become a lot more normal so it's reinforcing those constantly on the menus and recycling even old ideas and reinventing dishes that we've had on previously that we'll use you know say we had some fermented tomato juice we managed to use it over two seasons because we could stretch that autumn season right the way into winter and it, it fitted perfectly with this an addition we had on in winter and as a chef when you're when you're preparing something you, you have to look at it like right well I've got my prime piece of whatever it is but what about that what about the stalks what can I do with the stalks what can I do with the, the outer leaves what can I do with the bones the skin what can I do with any of that and a lot of the time you have to be very creative and sort of force it upon yourself and your team to to really strive to extract as much flavor out of every single piece of produce as possible. So, yeah, it seems that there's definitely a greater awareness and commitment to just trying to use up every single thing that you have in terms of produce rather than let things go to waste. And I guess that also maybe flares up some creativity in terms of what dishes you actually bring forward because you start to think about all of these things that maybe in the past would have just been thrown away and gone to compost. Tell us a bit about the customer and all of this because with the restaurant scene changing as you've described, I guess that means customers are not only more aware of sustainable restaurant practices but also actively seeking it. So I know you communicate very well with your customers. So tell us a little bit about how you've helped both educate them, but also involve them in the process. So it's always been present on our menus. We've always been quite proud of the fact that we adopt that kind of a policy and we're not shoving it down people's throats in that sort of sense, but we've never hidden away from the fact that we'll try and do things like that to extract flavor and, and all that kind of stuff. But I guess a, quite a big thing to us is 
if we have a dish on that's particularly popular and we get feedback from from guests it's one of those things of right well this dish may have run its course but at least we know that we can reuse that idea for something in the future or next year or when it comes back into season we can really try and take that customer feedback and put it back into our menus or even if it's a certain technique or a type of sauce that we've made or something like that we'll try and utilize it as much as possible to enhance the experience for the customer and if they know that they can have that level of consistency it's certainly something that i feel even if i was dining out if i knew that i was going to get something consistent i would want to go back wouldn't i that's what we try and do really is try and make sure that we're approaching the food with that mindset as well is is making sure that the customer feels like they're getting some level of consistency i guess it's quite a difficult balance between having to create dishes and to build menus based on the ingredients you have on the day, making sure that nothing is wasted and making sure that you try to bring in as much locally sourced and fresh produce as possible. And at the same time, mm-hmm. achieving that consistency, which I imagine is sometimes quite difficult if you're having to change and adapt. So it's it's really interesting to see where you find that balance. And in terms of the conversation with customers, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about just taking that time to listen and to understand what they are looking for, what they're interested in, what they respond positively to. I guess it's a key principle of designing a good product, if you like. It's actually making sure that customers have a voice in that, and and that's really designed around what they're interested in and what their needs are. When it comes to the sustainability aspect, do you find increasingly this is a conversation you have with your customers? Are they curious to learn about the processes, whether it's preservation or whether it's the producers you work with? And how do you try to build that openness into that relationship with customers? Well, I mean, a lot of that comes from interaction with the guests table side with our restaurant staff. Not so much myself, but our restaurant team is very personable and can really get some good conversation out of the guests. And it's certainly something when we've been describing dishes table side, we would always encourage the staff to pick out the slightly more obscure things. Like I said before about fermented products, not to sort of hide behind it and be quite proud and have that sort of dialogue with guests. And certainly it would be, we, you know, we put bits and pieces on our menu and it doesn't seem to deter guests from ordering certain things and certainly with the tasting menu that we have on it offers a lot of range of produce and technique and and things so there's always quite a lot to talk about with the guests interaction table side is quite key and then also you're building the rapport with the guests and enhancing their experience making them feel comfortable there's no sort of stiffness to anything it's all quite relaxed and that ties in with, with the food as well. We don't want the food to ever be not fitting to the restaurant. So and the restaurant itself is, is quite relaxed. The staff are relaxed. The food is relaxed. It's not too stiff and formal, I guess, is what I'd say. You were talking earlier about education, training and development of staff. So I guess this is where it really pays off when the time you take to invest in helping them to understand, to be interested, to be involved in the process of how you source, how you design menus, the thinking, the ideas that go into that, they can really then translate that to the customer, to the guests at the table, 
and convey with genuine passion, but as you say, in, a, in an informal and in their own way to convey the menu. So I guess they really play a crucial role. What would you say when we think about trying to be more sustainable and trying to build in these practices? What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you faced in doing that? A lot of it, I'd say, especially from a food point of view, is that it supports the economy, but it's not necessarily supporting the, the bigger picture. It's, it's quite tricky to balance, really. It's like, where do you draw the line with this local sort of thing? It's great if you are able to do that, but there's a lot of stuff that you just have to go further afield for. Lemons, for instance, you're not going to grow those and somebody's allotment. You know, it's one of those things that you have to think, right, well, we can push this message to a point, but our chocolate's got to come from somewhere. Our coffee's got to come from somewhere. Our tea's got to come from somewhere. It's balancing everything and supporting the local economy is important, but you sometimes have to look at the, the wider picture as well. The North Sea is full of tons of fish, but there's always the danger that it is getting sort of overfished. So when there's a particular season for this Icelandic cod, you get that because it's best practice. It's not not super local but my god is it sustainable it's great you know it's um yeah it's really quite challenging i can see that there are just so many factors to consider and having this simplistic view on yeah. what sourcing local really means and what having a circular practice within a business like yours is the ideal and the reality are two different things and of course it can be achieved to 100 and there are great examples mm -hmm. of that but you also have to meet a demand that you have in the market. And also, as you say, considering all of those different things where we want coffee and coffee has a footprint and some of those other things that you mentioned. So I think it's just really great to have that perspective, that sense of realism that I think clearly we need to have if we are trying to make changes, but also try to somehow not end up at a point where it's so radical that we can't even recognize the menu or, or what it is that we're doing because we would end up in a very, very niche space if we did that. Tell us now, lastly, I, I guess what innovation means to you in the work that you've been doing. How would you define innovation in terms of a, a mindset, a thinking, and how it ultimately drives and defines the choices that you make within the business? In terms of innovation in the kitchen, Using technology in the kitchen has been quite commonplace for a while. And I guess being able to perfect and make food more precise would always be key to streamlining the kitchen in terms of what our output is. But actually, a lot of the time you can get lost in that and it pulls too much away from what the food is. So again, you've got to pick and choose the bits that you stay true to and a lot of the older techniques are actually more favorable for keeping maximum flavor and produce to its most simplistic. So in the kitchen, I'd say it's probably less important. You've been listening to Place-Based Innovation with myself, Nick Hall. The producer of this series is Ana Balaga-Sanchez, Production and editing by Dan Hopkins. The series is part of the Hospitality Innovation Tourism Supply Program, which supports businesses in Northumberland, Newcastle, and North Tyneside to meet challenges through innovation. The program is funded by North of Tyne Combined Authority and delivered by Newcastle Gateshead Initiative, Food and Drink Northeast, and NBSL.
Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get notified of future episodes. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, why not take a moment to leave a review? Thanks, and we'll see you next time.